So here at Ethnos, we believe that um, spiritual journey requires help and requires guides. And those guides can look like all different things, um, and they can come in all shapes and sizes. But we believe that there's something really special and really unique about the, uh, having Jesus as our guide. So um, we're going to have some discussion about the scriptures of Jesus, talking about his life and the things that, um, that are in his scriptures. And um, we invite you to really in engage in this time. And if you have other um, you know, guides that you, you have for your spiritual journey, we, we invite you to bring those to the table as well. Um, and this is a time where we can really talk and, and uh, process these things. So uh, I'm going to invite up uh, Young today, and uh, Young's going to be speaking. Yeah, let's give him a round. <laughs> Young is our resident pastor here, so that means that he's learning about how to uh, start one of a, a community like this, one of like the ethnos communities in a different city. And uh, we're just really uh, blessed. Uh, I know I am personally blessed by his encouragement and um, his uh, positive, uh, encouraging attitude every week. So, um, uh, yeah, so with that, we'll just turn it over to him. Thank you for now using amazing. <laughs> you can't told him to say amazing young. I said, please don't use that. Um, we continue today uh, the story of Abraham. We are studying the spirituality of Abraham in a large context of God's salvation from the judgment uh, for the wicked and the sinful and the unrighteous. Um, uh, just a quick review of what uh, we talked about last week. Uh, Abraham uh, was pleading for the city of Sodom because angels came and told Abraham that uh, they came to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So if you remember last week, uh, Abraham said, if there were 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you destroy it? And the angel said, no, of course not. If there was 45, no. It goes down to 30, 20, and to 10. If there was 10 righteous, will there be a destruction? And the angel said, no. And it makes sense. God will certainly not destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. So that was the point. So today the story, uh, story continues and shifts to Lot, his nephew. If you remember, nephew, his nephew Lot um, came out of the original town of Ur with Abraham in order to find a better life. He trusted Abraham to give him a better life. And at a certain point, they became so large that they had to separate. And if you remember the story, Lot's, uh, Abraham said, Lot, choose. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And Lot chose the area where Sodom and Gomorrah was. They all knew it was a sinful, sinful city. But Lot chose it because he thought he will flourish there. The land was better. The city gave him more opportunities. And we see, we see him living near Sodom at a certain point. 
maybe chapter 13, and later on we see him living inside Sodom. So from the tenth life, he goes into the city, now he has a nice mansion. So that's the life he wanted. But the city itself was sinful, unrighteousness, wickedness, flourishing in that city. So the angels came, actually, to destroy this city. So the story continues. Um, I would like to, as, no, as usual, ask you a question for you to discuss. Uh, do you think, uh, who do you think is righteous in this world today? And the question, do you think you are righteous? Are you righteous? So try to discuss it among yourselves, and we'll come back and we'll... Share some of us. Anyone would like to share what you have discussed in the table or your personal opinion? Anyone? It's a tough question, huh? Are you righteous? You don't have to answer that question. Answer the other one. Who do you think is righteous in this world? Yes, Sean, thank you for saving me. Our, our table discuss whether or not it is even possible to be righteous. I think we agree that in the sense of the word, we, can, it's, it, we can't be. But then um, AK brought up the point that once you start to follow Christ, you're seen differently by God. So in that sense of the word, we are righteous now that we have received and follow Christ. Thank you. Thank you for that. Wow. That was excellent. Excellent. Anyone else? Maybe we have one more. Don't seem like you want to share today. <laughs> Anyone else? No? No? Last chance? All right, then. So, um, who are the righteous, and why is that so important? Well, the righteous will not be judged by God. Today, the passage is about judgment of God. Righteousness is so important because God will not judge the righteous among the unrighteous. So today's passage, we will uh, consider who are the righteous. And also, we will consider a little bit of God's judgment. So let's go to our text. Genesis chapter 19, verses 1. I will read today. We don't have a printout, but we have... Uh, the screen. So follow along as I read. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did not go with him and entered his house. Sorry, they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Now, as I explained a little bit, Lot had made some bad decisions in the past. So he's living among sinners, not so much to evangelize, to be the light, but because he wanted that life, that good life, that American dream. Nice house and wealth. So that was a bad decision. And uh, today, if we see 
this passage, this is a pretty good decision because these two men came, there were angels in the form of men, came. He didn't know who they were. And as usual, a Jewish uh, man, according to tradition, would invite them, show hospitality to their homes. And if they refuse, they insist. But this time, he says here, he insisted so strongly. Why? Because if you know the story later on, if they went into the square, town square, these evil men will take them and abuse them. So knowing that, Lot insisted strongly that they would stay with him, and they did. So we see here Lot making some terrible decisions in the past, but here in this particular time, he made a good decision. It was a righteous decision. So remember what we are after. We want to know who the righteous is in order to avoid the judgment of God. So let's go on. Verse 4. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out, so, bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Now, this is appalling, isn't it? This is incredible. It's unbelievable. Um, in college, I was 18, 19 years old, over 30 years ago. Wow, it's amazing to say that. 30 years ago. I still feel like I'm 19, but I'm not anymore. Anyway, 30 years ago, in college, I went to Binghamton, SUNY Binghamton, actually first two years, and we met this wonderful pastor. Uh, he used to pastor a large congregation, but he lost his voice. Now he can barely converse, so we have three people doing Bible study with him. We had a great time. But these kind of passages come up, and I just couldn't understand. How is it that every single person in this town, thousands of people, could be sinful, unrighteous, not one righteous? Are you telling me there's not one righteous in the town of Sodom, Gomorrah, and the surrounding small towns? And the pastor explained, tried to explain, but I was so forceful. I made him nervous. But I'm sure you have thought about that before. How could that be? Now I don't think about, I don't think that way anymore. I believe it. Why? At age 50, I've seen myself. I've seen myself, the potential for sin inside of myself, understanding my own sinful nature. Without the light of Jesus, certainly that can happen. What about the world? This is appalling, but what about today? Aren't they things that are appalling today? I think so, right? I just looked up online. I'm sure, I don't know if it's right or wrong. In America alone, 100,000 per year. Rape reported. I think that's pretty appalling too. 10,000 murders every year. Wow, that's appalling too. Especially after 2,000 years after Jesus came. And you and I tirelessly each day go out to the community. We shed light. But yet, these things happen. So looking at the world today and looking at even myself, the potential of sin in me, I have no problem believing that every single person in the town is sinful. 
especially here, every man, young and old, middle-aged, all alike, they all came to the door to rape or to have sex with these two visitors. Yes, it's appalling, but it's not shocking. It is understandable. So now he gives us a little bit of a window towards the sinful nature of man, the unrighteous versus the righteous. Now let's go on. Verse 6, Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of your way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. We will treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. Again, I say appalling, yes? But not shocking. Not shocking. To treat Lot, his action, he treated the guests above his own daughter. I'm sure he loved the daughters more, but his rules, that tradition says you must treat your guests above your family. It's a strange tradition. It's a sort of misunderstanding of love your neighbor as yourself, and the guests were the neighbor and family's family. And I remember teaching this passage to uh, my congregation in the past. Who, who, who is your neighbor? Yes, the guests are your neighbor, but everybody else is your neighbor too. Your family is your neighbor. Your husband is your neighbor. And one of the, one of the elderly women, sort of the light bulb came on. Oh, my husband is my neighbor? Really? So I have to love my, my husband as myself? Yeah, when it comes to husband and wife, you 50%, I 50%. Isn't that how you think? Oh, you do this much, I do that much. Love your neighbor as yourself implies that you give 100%, not expecting anything back. You couples, do you do that? Do you, do that? Do you give 100% not expecting anything back? Hey, thank you. Who said that? <laughs> Who said that? I could say that too. Sometimes, it's true. But uh, I think Asian cultures are very similar too. I'm not too sure about Chinese culture, but Korean culture is very similar. I have a similar uh, a story, not as, not as extreme as this. I was like seven years old, and my mother and my parents did a huge party in the house, and you know how Asians are, they a lot of food, you know, barbecue and deep fried shrimp or whatever. And then uh, it was evening, I was hungry and came out with my sister and I don't know if it was my mother or my father, I don't remember. Go back, uh, let the guests finish first, come back later. I'm like, what? <laughs> this is my house. So we were a little bit upset, but we, my sister and I, we were Went back to the room, and my sister was thinking, no, we are hungry. She goes out. We both went out and opened the fridge, and we took out some cold food we were eating on the table. And we're not feeling well here. All these guests eating great food, and we are eating cold food. And one of my 
uh, all the relatives I used to call a grandma. She was my grandmother's sister. Uh, she saw us eating this cold leftover food. She said, what are you doing? No. And then she went and brought us all this food, and I saw my sister tearing up. I was too young to really understand. My sister's tearing up, and I'm saying, this is definitely something wrong here. This is my house. Everybody get out. <laughs> you know? That's Asian culture. And after a while, this Western culture, we all changed. No, kids are first now. That's not the way I grew up. Kids are always first. You guys eat first and we'll eat later. Oh, not the old Asian culture. Yeah. Multiply that by a hundred, then you get this. I'd rather sacrifice my daughters. If somebody has to die, I will give you my daughter. Somebody has to be raped, I will give you my daughter. And scholars, they explain it away. These two daughters had two uh, uh, husbands, not quite yet, but engaged to be pledged to be married. These two men were outside too. We can see that later. And some scholars say if these two women went outside and the, the two uh, engaged uh, men saw that, they could stop the other man. So maybe, you know, Lot had all these in mind. I don't think so. I don't think so. In that urgency, in his uh, twisted belief, if these guests went out, then he will be punished or judged by God, so I'm going to send them my daughters. What an appalling thought. I don't want to even think it, because I have children. I have a daughter. It's hard to think about these things, so I just brush it by. It is appalling, but even today, same things happen, right? Mothers sell their children to slavery, to prostitution, to be raped. 13, 14-year-old girls, same things. So it is not so incredible even back then. Appalling, yes, but not shocking. It's the sinful nature of man. So, moving on. Um, actually, I have notes here to talk about being judgmental. I think I should, a little bit to the side, because he says here, uh, the man outside, this is what he said, this fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge, the judge. So when, Noah, when Lot said, don't do this wicked thing, these men felt something. They felt bad. There was some small conscience still alive in them. So he fe they felt that Lot was judging them. But in this context, Lot was not judging them. He was pleading with them. This is an evil act. Don't do it, please. He was pleading. Lot was not despising them, condemning them. It was not a judgmental way that the Lot has spoken. But they understood it that way. I think that's something to think about. If Christians just go about doing their things, saying the things that they think, people around might be offended. They might feel judged by you and start disliking you without any other reason. Furthermore, you are not the judge, and that's true. Lot is not the judge. Whenever we judge others in the sense that, oh, I don't do that, 
you shouldn't do that, and they're despising the person. We are being the judge. Are you righteous? Judges have to be righteous. So the question I asked in the beginning, uh, do you feel, is there anyone righteous? Without Jesus, there's no one righteous, not one, the Bible says. So, you and I have no power to judge anyone because we are not righteous. Only Jesus is righteous. So there's only one person who can judge us, Jesus. But when we see his life, that one person will not judge us until the last day. Instead, he shows compassion, mercy, forgiveness until the last day when the judgment time comes. And today's story is sort of about that. So let's move on. So verse 10. But the man inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. Now, you know, Lot was trying to protect the, the guests, right? Was trying to protect the guests, but it wasn't really up to Lot, was it? Lot had no power to protect daughters nor the guests. It was this wrong perception of himself. We really have no power to protect anyone. Yes, it's really God who sends angels to us in order to protect us. So the angel pulled him in, protected both Lot and the daughters, and then blinded them outside, blinded them. But if you look at here, it's so interesting. Blindness so that they could not find the door. Well, they were still looking for the door. They were blind, struck with blindness, and I'm sure they felt something. But their urge to commit that sin is so great, they were still looking for the door but could not find. So my guess is that they dispersed after that. Let's move on. Verse 12. The two men said to Lot, do not have anyone else here. Do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you. Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. Now in the, sort of in the middle of the story, it says every single man was at the door. So we have to assume that these two men pledged to marry the daughters were also at the door. But Lot goes and finds them. God is going to destroy this city, so come with me. And what do they say? Oh, you crazy old man. Who's going to destroy this city? Now, think about, wow, would I believe Lot if somebody comes and says, God's going to destroy this place that I'm living in? I think I would not believe Lot. I would be one of them. Right? Without Jesus, without the spirituality, it's impossible to believe that God is going to destroy this city. Remember when people were going, crucify, crucify. And I think, remember thinking, if Jesus was not in my heart, 
I would be the one saying, crucify, crucify. I would be the crowd. It's not so crazy for them to say, no, you're crazy. I'm not going out with you. Look at all the possession that I have, the wealth that I have. I'm not going to give this up and run away. Nothing will happen, old man. Relax. They thought he was joking. Let's move on. Verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the man grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Now the, there's a little hesitation there. Yeah. Remember this story when Jesus was teaching. This rich old man comes to Jesus. Oh, how do I receive eternal life? And Jesus said, sell everything and follow me. Right? And what did this old man say? What did this young man say? Nothing. Turned around and left. He was he had too much wealth. He's not going to give that up. Now, Lot was wealthy, just like Abraham. When the angel said, go leave, he couldn't take anything. What could he possibly take? He had to leave everything and go out and follow the instructions of the angels. So there was a little hesitation. Hesitation. Remember Jesus says, eye of the needle? It's harder for a rich man to go into the kingdom than a camel to go into the eye of the needle. But after a little hesitation, when the angels grabbed his arm and went, he followed, he followed. Remember, we're talking about righteousness. He believed the angels. Even though there's hesitation, he followed, he left everything and followed the angels. Keep that in mind. It certainly has to do with righteousness. Finally, the destruction, the story of destruction. I'm going to read the whole thing from 17 through 29. As soon as they brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Look here, is a, is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar, means small. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah. 
toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from the furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Now there is an explanation of this story in 2 Peter chapter 2. And he said, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the nearby towns is really about the judgment that will come at the end. It is in a small scale, scale what will happen in the future. So that event itself, in a way, is a prediction, is a prophecy of the future. So God records this story for us to Read it and understand what God will do in the future. His justice demands that God bring down judgment upon the wicked, upon sinners, unrighteous. So that day is yet to come. It will come. It's not here. I don't know when it will come. Jesus said no one will know. The day will come as thief at night. So you and I, we don't know when the day will come. If I tell you, you know, I think personally, it will come in the next hundred years. No, hundred years passes and he's not here. Some of you may be saying, oh, he'll never come. No, he, he will come. His days are like thousand years, he said. So the day will come. But you and I, our chances are from the day we, born, we are born to the day we pass. You know, my parents, my father passed away a few uh, weeks ago, and Sean's mother passed away last uh, two weeks ago. Yes, we are born, and then we will go. That's the chance we have. During that time, we read the scripture, we read these kind of stories, and we try to understand who are the righteous that will not be judged by God. Now we have examples of Abraham. Now we have example of Lot. The explanation in, in 2 Peter chapter 2 is that Lot was a righteous man. He agonized over the sins of the town, wasn't strong enough to leave because he loved wealth. But he was a righteous man, and what makes him righteous? Like I tried to explain, every single man in that town, woman in the, no one would leave when angels came and told them, God will destroy this place. He did. He believed the angels. How? What was different about him? He lived like them. He loved money and wealth. What was different about him? There is some spirituality inside of him, spirit of God living inside of him that understood when angels said, God will destroy, he believed that was the evidence of his righteousness. Abraham being 75, God said, you will have a child, and that child will have a nation. And the nation will be like sands of the ocean or stars of the sky. And Abraham believed the 75. 25 years went by, still no child. For 25 years, he kept on believing. There were times he was struggled to believe, but he believed. And God said, God reckoned him righteous because he believed in what God said. 
their faith in that salvation, their faith is really looking forward to Jesus, the true salvation. So now we know for sure what we need to believe in order to be righteous. Righteousness, just like the question I posed, are you righteous? <sighs> Tough question. It's a long question. You cannot just say yes or no. Are you righteous? If you say, oh, I do a lot of good things, I do a lot of kind things, and that seems, no, seems logical. If you do a lot of kind and compassionate things, you love your neighbor, you are kind to strangers, maybe you're more righteous than the other. But after committing all oh, this sin against God, does doing good things erase everything? That makes no sense. Even in this world, they don't do that. You commit a crime, if you steal something from somebody, and you're caught, no matter how much good he did, you will go to jail. Only after you go to jail for a few years and come out, then that sin is washed. So righteousness is not really about doing a lot of good things so I feel righteous. Righteousness is about erasing the sins I have committed in the past. Unfortunately, also in the future. Every sin that I have committed in the past and also in the future has to be erased, has to be paid by somebody. In this world, no one can pay for my crimes. That's not possible. No nation has that kind of strange laws. Strangely enough, in God's kingdom, that is possible. That's where our hope comes from. It is possible that someone else can die for my sins, can be punished for my sins. You probably heard the punishment for sin, the wages of sin is death. What happens if we die? We're, we're dead, eternal death. In God's strange law and system, someone else can die. Then who can possibly die for all of us here? I don't know, maybe 60 of us here? Who can die for all of us? Not a person. If I deserve to die and I die, that's it. You cannot die for me. Angel? Angel's little above man. Maybe he can die for two men. But we have the whole world. We have billions of people. Who can possibly die for us and pay for the sins? And the answer is, of course, God himself. Jesus, the Son of God, equal in essence with God. He created us, so he must be big enough to pay for all of our sins. And that is exactly what Jesus did. He comes to earth in a humanly form, and he dies on the cross. All of our sins were poured on Jesus, and he's punished for that sins on the cross. And in that moment... In that moment of resurrection, another amazing thing happens. Not only he erases all of our crimes and sins, he puts his own righteousness in us. In a mysterious way, we don't know how that happens. Not only our sins are forgiven, his righteousness comes in us. So therefore, we are righteous. So where does faith come from? Do you believe that? Abraham believed, Lot believed, 
simply understanding, recognize, wow, this is what happened. That's the faith. That's the faith. And then just like these uh, Lot followed the angels out of destruction, Jesus says the same thing. How many times did he say, follow me? So Jesus holds their arm and says, follow me. Now, if you recognize, understand what Jesus did on the cross, then Jesus holds their hands and follow me. It means leave everything. Leave everything. Follow him in your heart, of course. Doesn't literally mean leave your job, leave your home like Lot. In your heart, from now on, your goal, your purpose is to follow Jesus. If Jesus says, have a family like us, we have a family, then we have a family because Jesus says it. Buy a house, then we buy a house. Go to church, and we go to church. Plant a church, and we plant a church. And you go to work, you go to work, you go study, and you go study. It's what Jesus instructs us to do. This is the life running away from destruction. We follow Jesus away from destruction. That's the life we live here. Lot had a difficult time because there's so much wealth. I want to follow, but my, look at my wealth. Abraham didn't. He had tremendous wealth, more than Lot. But he followed God's instructions. That's whom we need to be. Yeah, Lot is a terrible example, terrible model. Abraham, on the other hand, beautiful model. Yeah, our lives, no matter what we have, what uh, education we have, all of our lives is just one, one direction, one purpose to follow Jesus away from destruction. And then we're safe. 